0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the Book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. Well, the summer after my senior year of graduation, 24 of us in our church youth group traveled out to Colorado to be part of a hiking trip that would last 10 days and it was rugged and it was out in an area of Colorado where they told us at one point we were 90 minutes from the nearest helicopter in case anything went wrong. And I'll come back to that, but I just wanna tell you that I'm fascinated by the name of the group that guided us there in the mountains. They were called the American Wilderness Institute. And as we think about the wilderness, this is what we're studying as we come to the book of Numbers. Last week, Steve kicked us off with uh, an introduction to the book of Numbers and particularly focused on Numbers 6. And he talked about the Nazarite vow and how God's people were invited to voluntarily live a set-apart life and that in Jesus Christ, we too are invited to do the very same thing. So as we look at the book of Numbers and continue, I'm going to be teaching from Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through numbers chapter 10 verse 13 and we're gonna look at god's guidance today now last week steve explained that the book of numbers is kind of a funny way to call the book it's mainly in english we call it numbers because it was based on a whole bunch of censuses that were taken of the people a lot of counting numbers but really in hebrew the book means in the wilderness or in the desert and The reason why this is a valuable study for us is because the Bible tells us that we can learn, that we are warned, we're encouraged, and there's all kinds of lessons we can take from what happened to the people in the Old Testament. And if you're following along, here's what we've been saying during this series. We see how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey in the wilderness. We're going to have opportunities to how how do we live in those wilderness times of our lives with courage and faithfulness rather than foolishness and fearfulness. And so as we look at that today, I want to just say several things. First of all, the book of Numbers is 36 chapters long. And uh, in order to prepare for this, I took the YouVersion app that you can find for your, your phone or your tablet or your computer, and I listened to all 36 chapters of Numbers just to get an overview. If you use that app, you'll see that in the New International Version or the New Living Translation, there are ways to listen to each chapter. And that may be one way that you may wanna listen along while we go through this series, whether you listen to the entire book or just the chapters we're focusing on. But also I wanna remind you that Pastor Steve has developed a study guide where you can spend five days a week working on these passages more deeply on your own and discovering more things that God may want you to see as we walk through the book of Numbers. So as we think about the wilderness, as you think about God's intention for us, we see that picture with the Old Testament people of Israel. I want to just show you a verse that shows you God's overarching purpose that he had for them. God said to Moses, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God had a desire not only to bring them out, but to bring them in. And in between Egypt and the promised land lay the wilderness. And that time in their lives was a real testing time. It was a time when they discovered all kinds of things about God and all kinds of things about themselves. Now, why is this series so important? Well, let me just say that if you've never read the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, what you discover there is that uh, if you're following along in the notes, God's people turn an 11 day journey into a 40 year trip. Why is it important what we do in the wilderness? Because the decisions that we make when we're in those times of wilderness in our lives, those in between times, those are really important. And if we're not careful, we can make decisions or we can refuse to follow God's guidance and it will set us back and we'll have to keep taking the class again and again and again. Let me just tell you one of the things that happened in the American Wilderness Institute trip that I referred to at the beginning of the message. One of the things we did for five days was rock climb uh, along the face of a mountain. And in order to prepare for that, our guide had each one of us learn how to tie the different straps around our waist and legs so that when we were uh, climbing up the mountains or belaying down, that we had these straps tied tightly and properly so that we wouldn't fall uh, to our deaths. Well, my buddies and I were spending time, and one of my friends was tying his uh, straps so loosely that they were practically hanging down to his knees, and we got to laughing. And the guide came up to him and said, "Uh, you need to be more careful. I showed you how to do this properly. And my buddy just jokingly said, I would trust my life with these things. Well, about that minute, uh, he said that the guy grabbed him by the shoulders and shook him and said, look, this is serious business. What you do can change your whole life or affect your whole life. And I remember that was a wake up call for us. And even though we didn't necessarily like being corrected like that, in many ways, he saw the big picture that we didn't see. And so how you and I respond in these wilderness times is critical. Now, if you're following along, what I want you to see is that throughout this whole journey, God leads them all the way to see what's in their heart. God leads them all the way in the wilderness, even their times of failure, even in their times when they didn't cooperate. He leads them all the way to see what's in their heart. Look at the words of Deuteronomy 8 2, if you would. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And so when you and I go through these times, God has an overarching purpose, not only to bring us out, but to bring us in, but also to humble us and test us in order that we might see what's in our hearts. God already knows what's in our hearts, but oftentimes he brings us into situations so that we can see what's in our hearts and we can then decide what to do with what he reveals to us in these times. So would you pray with me as we look at how God provided guidance in the wilderness for the Israelites and how God provides guidance for us today. Thank you, God, for the scriptures that can warn us and encourage us and help us. And I pray that as a result of us looking at what you taught people in the days of old, that we would learn how to follow you today. Thank you for the grace that you provide to do that. In your name we ask, amen. So I want you to see if you're following along in the notes that there's two ways that God provided guidance for the people of Israel in this text that we see here. But before we talk about the cloud and the trumpets, let me just tell you the first line here. You'll see that the Lord, if you're following along, appoints leaders and sets things in order before they head out the Lord appoints leaders and sets things in order before they head out further towards the promised land. Now, uh, Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, the people of Israel camped at Mount Sinai about 11 months. So God had brought them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, came down into the wilderness. And after that, there at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel camped for about 11 months. During that time, God's law had been announced and the tabernacle had been constructed and dedicated. Moses had consecrated the priests and Levites uh, and also counted the soldiers and organized the tribes. This is how Israel was made ready for action and ready to move. So God uses this about year long period to get those things set in order. And he had leaders appointed. And this is part of the overall process. One of the things, that I don't know if you've ever noticed is that God is a God of order. God is a God who structures things so that things can flow better. Here's what 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So God is not a God of confusion or disorder, but God is a God of order. And we see this really clearly. So let me just show you how some of the preparation was done. Here's a picture of how the camps or the camp was set up with the different tribes. If you look carefully, you can see that the tabernacle was in the center, representing God's presence. And Moses and Aaron and the priests and the Levites surrounded the tabernacle. And then the twelve tribes of Israel were ordered around the uh, tabernacle in the presence of God in the way that you see there on the map and this is all explained in the earlier chapters of Numbers. And so again, without going into all the detail of that, I just wanted you to see that he had already done a number of things to make sure that they were well led. But in our passage today of Numbers 9, 15 through ten thirteen, what I want you to see is that God actually provides the cloud and the trumpets. If you're following along, God gives his people a visible, fiery cloud to follow. God gives his people a visible, fiery cloud to follow. Um, This is uh, one of the things, in fact, if you're following along, you'll see that the cloud, the cloud represents the Lord's presence, protection, and guidance. The cloud represents the Lord's presence, protection, and guidance. So again, when you think about the cloud, um, let me just show you Uh, a couple pictures of how this cloud looked uh, to the people of Israel. So there in the center of their camp would be this cloud that was visible to every person. And then at night, here's what it looked like. It was more like fire. And so it would light up the sky. The point is, is that all day long, all night long, God's presence represented by the cloud was visible to the entire group of people of Israel. And this must have been really reassuring. In fact, they had already had some experience before this chapter and chapter nine, following the cloud. Look at Exodus 13, 21 and 22. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Wow, what a tremendous a reassurance to have God's presence that way. You'll know that in Exodus 14, which I reference, in Exodus 33 and Exodus 40, there's some other mentions of the cloud. I, I believe also in Exodus 16, but the idea is, is that God oftentimes protected them and used this for his guidance. Now, when you think of this, let me read this passage so you can see what it says. On the day, the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. And at night, it looked like fire. Now, if you read along with me in the verses there in the gray box, here's what it says. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, The Israelites encamped, at the Lord's command they encamped and at the Lord's command they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order. Some of the other verses there in chapter nine, tell us that some days the cloud stayed in one place for one day or two days or a month or a year. But whenever the cloud moved, they moved. Whenever the cloud stopped, they stopped and they followed the Lord's command. This is how he visibly directed them. One of the things I hope you see here is that if you're following along, he clearly commands when to set out and when to stay put. He clearly, there's no mistake. They couldn't say, well, I didn't see the cloud because the cloud was visible to them. And at night or at day, they could see it all the time. And they knew what God wanted them to understand. It was clear. There was like no excuses of saying, well, I just didn't know what God wanted us to do. They knew it clearly. Now, along with the cloud, he also provided something else. And in chapter 10, we read these words. If you're following along there in that gray box, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. Now, again, some of the uh, estimations of these trumpets were that they were probably somewhere between a foot and a half to two feet long, and they were of hammered silver with a flared end, as you read the instructions in chapter 10. And they were used to not only call the community together, but also signal when it was time to set out. And later, it was used to as a reminder to the Lord when they were going into battle. uh, They would use the trumpets that way. Later, they would also use the trumpets for the feast and times of festivals and celebration but there were lots of things. Sometimes one trumpet was used just for the leaders. Other times two trumpets were used for the entire army, but they had this variation. If you're following along, here's the big idea. God designs trumpets to audibly direct them with long and short blasts. This means that if they weren't paying attention with their eyes, they also would get the instruction with their ears and they would be able to audibly hear, and that meant that the priests and Levites had to pay close attention whenever the clouds started to move so that they could alert the entire camp of the Israelites what was going on. This is just amazing to me how God thought out a God of order how to make sure he could move thousands and thousands and thousands of people at one time. This is an amazing thing. If you're uh, looking at the screen here, Numbers 10, 6, and 7 in the New Living Translation puts it this way. So short blasts are to be sounded to break camp, but in order to call the community together, long blasts are to be sounded. So there were a lot of these signals and the people understood these simple audible signals. God gave the cloud and he gave the trumpets to guide his people. And if you're following along, It's inspiring to see a group of people readily obeying the Lord. It's inspiring to see a group of people readily obeying the Lord. We read there in chapter 10, as we come to verse 11, On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place, until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. And we're going to study what happened as they continued to travel there in the wilderness. But today we want to focus on God's guidance. And again, I was, I don't know if you've ever been impressed, but one of the things that I remember uh, when I've watched expeditions or read about famous uh, groups of people moving together, In order and with a togetherness. It's powerful. We just uh, came across the anniversary of D-Day, where during World War II, a whole group, a huge force of people landed on the beaches of Normandy, France. And one of the stories that's so inspiring to me is how 225 rangers climbed a 100-foot cliff And were able to knock out the german pillboxes and bombers and things like that that they were able to actually take that land back but they had to work in uh, structured order and together they had to work together and it cost them but they were courageous and they were faithful to the calling and in a similar way god wanted his people to learn how to travel together not only out of egypt but through the wilderness to the promised land. He brought them out that he might bring them in. And in between, he wanted to teach them valuable lessons about what was in their heart and the character choices that they were making. And it's inspiring to the watching world when they see a group of people obey God. And that's what leads us finally to how does God guide us today? Well, how do we follow the Lord's guidance today? Well, if you're following along, One of the most important things to understand is why Jesus came. What was God's overarching redemptive purpose? And if you're following along, Jesus came and he died to make us a people of his own who follow him. Jesus died not just to save us each individually, but to make us a people of his own who follow him. Look at the words of Titus 2.14, if you would. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing the good deeds that he'd prepared for us to do. And so as we think about being his people today, it helps me to know that the reason why God put me here on earth was not just to make me an individual that figured out things for my own individual life, but he always dreamed, even when Jesus was dying on the cross, he wanted to purchase a people of his very own. And that's what you and I are if we've been saved and redeemed by Jesus. So when you think about that, when you think about being that kind of people, remember that the way Jesus, when he came to the earth, clouds, fire and trumpets all would play a part. First of all, the Bible says is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is tabernacled among us. He, in other words, that he became that presence of God in human flesh to us. And so when he was incarnated, when he was transfigured, the Bible says a cloud came over him and the three disciples and Moses and Elijah that were with him. And in that cloud, the voice spoke and said, this is my son, listen to him. Then also when Jesus ascended into heaven, how did he do it? He ascended on a cloud. When you think about how Jesus operated that way, then what did he do next after he ascended into heaven? He promised that he would send his Holy Spirit. And if you're following along, he gives his Holy Spirit who leads us to obey. He gives us his Holy Spirit who leads us to obey. And so how did the Holy Spirit come? Well, again, if you use the study guide, you're gonna be able to read more about this. But here's Acts 2, 3 and 4. And here's what it says. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as you think about that, fire, the presence of God also shows up at Pentecost as they're waiting on God, the people of God. And it was the way the Holy Spirit came and settled the presence of God to indicate that now, not just on a group of people generally or outside us, but inside us, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside. And then also the Bible says is that Jesus is coming back one day. And when he comes back one day, both first first excuse me, First Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 tell us that there will be a trumpet blast. And Jesus will come back on the clouds with his angels to come for his people who have been waiting for him. So there's this whole idea of God guiding us having an overall purpose for us, a redemptive purpose that we might glorify him as his people, as we wait, as we walk through the wilderness. What do, we learn? what do we need to learn? We need to learn how to glorify him. One of the things that I wanted you to see also is that Galatians 5.25 tells us how important it is. Since we, live, since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, some of you, as you've been listening to all this, may say, gosh, I wish God's guidance was visible and audible today. Like I've never heard God's voice audibly. Or you may say, I wish God would sometimes speak to me in the clouds in 10 foot letters. Isn't it more advantageous how they were guided by God than how we are today? And I would tell you, no, that's not really true. Jesus said it was to our advantage that he go away and send the Holy Spirit, and he knew what he was talking about. Listen to what Henry Blackaby writes. For 12 years, I pastored in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. One day, a farmer said to me, Henry, come out and visit with me at my farm. His directions went something like this. Go a quarter of a mile past the edge of the city, and you will see a big red barn on your left. Go to the next road and turn to your left. Take the road for three quarters of a mile, you'll see a tree. Go right for about four miles and then you will see a big rock. I wrote all this down and one day I got there. (laughs) The next time I went to the farmer's house, the farmer was with me. Since there was more than one way to get to his house, he could have taken me any way he wanted to. The next time I didn't need the instructions I had written down. You see, he was my map. What did I have to do? I simply had to listen to him. Every time he said turn, I just did what he said. He took me the way I had never been. I probably couldn't retrace the route on my own. The farmer was my map. He knew the way. And although we have no visible divine cloud to follow, we can discern God's will through his spirit, the Bible, prayer, and balanced counsel from mature believers in the people of God. And so God's still guiding us today And it does require us learning how to be sensitive and responsive to the Holy Spirit who God gives us. But the Holy Spirit always uses God's word. And that's another reason why we want to feed ourselves with God's word each day. So if you're following along, following the Lord means to trust and obey him. Following the Lord means to trust and obey him. I love how Jesus said this the night before he was crucified, when he was instructing his disciples and telling them how he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Those who accept my commandments, this is John 14, 21, and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. And then he said these words a few verses later, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You see, what's in our heart, is it a love for the one who has set us free, who has redeemed us, who died to set us free from our sin and from our lostness, our alienation from God? Is that created a love in our heart? Is the Holy Spirit who lives in us helping us to obey? If he is, then we have to decide, am I going to trust and obey him? You see, just like they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink in a similar way. God can offer his guidance, but he will never force us to obey. He leaves that up to our hearts to join him and cooperate with him. I love this story if you're a sports fan. In How Life Imitates the World Series, Dave Boswell tells a story about Earl Weaver, former manager of the Baltimore Orioles, and how he handled superstar Reggie Jackson. Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless given the steal sign. This upset Jackson because he felt that he knew the pitchers and catchers well enough to judge who he could and could not steal off of. So one game, he decided to steal without a sign. He got a good jump off the pitcher and easily beat the throw to second base. As he shook the dirt off his uniform, Jackson smiled with delight, feeling he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. Later, Weaver took Jackson aside and explained why he hadn't given the steal sign. First, the next next batter was Lee May, his best power hitter other than Jackson. When Jackson stole second, first base was left open, so the other team walked May intentionally, taking the bat out of his hands. Second, the following batter hadn't been strong against that pitcher, so Weaver felt he had to send up a pinch hitter to try and drive in the men on base. That left Weaver without bench strength later in the game when he needed it. The problem was Jackson saw his only relationship to the pitcher and the catcher. Weaver was watching the whole game. Sometimes the reason why we don't trust God is we think we know better. Sometimes the reason we don't obey him is because we don't feel like it or we feel like we could figure this whole thing out better. And I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with different kinds of obedience. Sometimes I obey, but I obey in less than a beautiful way. Here's just five kinds of obedience that I put here on the screen that I've noticed in my own life. And I also see in the Israelites. Delayed obedience, selective obedience, begrudging obedience, prompt and full obedience and wholehearted obedience. We'll see all these as we study the book of Numbers, but also many times when we're in the wilderness, sometimes we are slow to obey. We delay it. We just say, well, I need to think about it some more. I'm not sure. Other times it's selective obedience, where we're really proud about how we obey God in all these ways, but in the way that he really is pushing and pressing on our hearts to obey. We say, I'm not gonna do that. Other times we obey, but we do it with such a terrible attitude that it's not really based on love for God. It's begrudging. And then there's other times where we're prompt to obey, where we're quick to obey, and we obey everything he asks us to do. And there's other times where we do it with a wholeheartedness, with a get to spirit, with a want to spirit, like we talked about last week. What kind of obedience do you see in your life with God's guidance? Are there things that you are struggling to obey him in right now? I was thinking about my own life during this COVID time, and I've noticed that there have been times where I have been really slow to apologize to Trish when I'm either rude or insensitive. One of the things that I've thought back is that when we were first married, in many ways, I was quicker to come back and apologize. And then over the years, I've noticed that now she's quicker to do that. She's more responsive to God and I'm slower. And it just reminds me that when we're in the wilderness, it's one of those things where we have to keep obeying him one day at a time, because as we do, it will determine how things go for us in the wilderness. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to all of a sudden spend 40 wasted years of wandering that are unnecessary. But we can respond to God in a responsive way that's beautiful. So if you're following along, as you look in my heart, Lord, am I leadable and quick to obey? As you look in my heart, Lord, am I leadable and quick to obey? I like what J.D. Walt has said about the book of Numbers. Obedience is perhaps the greatest lesson the wilderness can teach us. So again, I just ask you today, has something been coming to your mind? Have there been things that God's saying, I want you to do this, or I want you to stop doing this? Uh, Are you the kind of person that as soon as the cloud of God's guidance lifts, that you're ready to set out? Or when God's guidance stays put, that you're willing, even though it's inconvenient or difficult, or you're antsy or edgy, that you're willing to stay put until he moves you uh, to do something different. I hope that we can be the kind of church. Let me just say this. I have been so impressed with how many of you have stayed responsive in this wilderness time. I know several of you have told me that you're feeling a rebellious spirit kind of stirring up in you as we have to continue to be in a stay in place or we have to follow certain guidelines in order to care for the health of other people But I've appreciated the way so many of you have wrestled through that. And we want to obey God. We want to be a witness to our community. We want to care about those people that don't yet know God. And we want to be the kind of church family that shows a watching world, how we can be led, not by our own inclinations, but by the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me as we close? Lord, I don't know what you'll bring to mind, but I pray you'd come to every person that's watching or listening to this message. Thank you for what you taught the Israelites and thank you that they were willing to follow your guidance early on. Help us, God, to be just as responsive and to stay um, humble and teachable and leadable and guidable, because that's what you're looking for, for us to be people like that with you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.